Second Chronicles 14. I want to talk for a couple minutes about how the Lord works when we trust him in difficult situations. We've named some difficult situations tonight that we've prayed for, but um, I, I would bet that if we uh, had an open mic and, and we shared some examples, we could talk for hours about times when God's met us in difficult times and God's answer prayer. And, and what makes this passage so powerful, and, and I pray that it will really encourage us tonight, I've had so much fun studying it today, um, is that... Um, Judah here in this situation is, is desperate. They've got a really serious situation, and yet the Lord's victory is thorough. So if you're facing some kind of crisis right now, something you're trusting the Lord for, but, but still feels like a, a, a big insurmountable reality, um, this text will strengthen you. I think it'll really encourage you. And, and, and it's other things that we can encourage other people in, people we've prayed for tonight, other people in our lives that are struggling, we need to give them this truth. We need to tell them how good the Lord is and how God answers prayer. And we need to communicate just how strong and how faithful he is. Now, real quickly by way of background, Second Chronicles 14, Judah's in a rough position. On one hand, things are looking up because they're turning the corner spiritually. When the nation divided, we had Saul, David, Solomon, then the nation divided, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Uh, Rehoboam should have been the king over all 12 tribes, but he messed up and was proud. So the nation divided. He had the two tribes of Judah, Judah and Benjamin. Jeroboam had the 10 tribes of Israel. After Rehoboam, there were two more kings in Judah, and they were both evil. And they both produced idol worship and made uh, the nation move away from God. Rehoboam had started, that really had started with Solomon because remember Solomon's heart drifted. Well now we have King Asa. And Asa is bringing in spiritual reform. He's providing fresh leadership. But, but none more important than how he was influencing the people to tear down idols and to obey God's law. See, spiritual leadership always centers on teaching and promoting conviction. Spiritual leadership always promotes teaching faith. So men, as we lead our families, as we parent our kids, women, as you parent uh, your kids, um, this is the core principle of parenting, that, that our kids need to show, need to know conviction. They need to know the Word of God. They need to understand theology. They need to know what it is to walk by faith, and they need to see that in us, because they won't develop that conviction by proxy, right? It's not going to just happen on their own. They're not going to sit down with their Bible, because I work with the middle schoolers. They're not just going to sit down with their Bible at 12 and go, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible for six hours a day and form my theology. You know, good and well, no 17-year-old's going to do that, or very rarely will they do that. They're so busy. They're so preoccupied. There's so many things going on that, that that's a hard thing to, to focus on, even if you want to. So we have to lead by example. We have to provide spiritual leadership. Now, verses 5, 6, and 7, which we're not going to read for brevity's sake, um, this reform resulted in the nation being undisturbed. The Spirit says this twice. And it meant that they were more secure, more wise, more prosperous, more peaceful. There's no war at this point. And those two things are connected. Spiritual reform and leadership is connected to God's blessing and help. 
So where we take a stand for the Lord, where we lead, where we, where we provide and, and encourage uh, conviction and faith, then God responds to that. God's waiting for that. He's looking for that. And he will bless and he'll help at that point. That's true whether we're talking about the government, whether we're talking about church, whether we're talking about marriage, whether we're talking about family. In, in all cases, it applies. So where there's conviction and faith, there will be God's blessing and help. And doing that may not make us the most popular, may not make us the most successful in culture's mind, or the most powerful, but we will be successful spiritually. We'll be successful practically. Now, as we do that, and you guys know that, you, you know the Lord, as we do that, the enemy then launches an attack. And in the Bible, we see a lot of war. And the war really serves as a metaphor, not only for war, but, but for difficulties in our lives. And they teach us, uh, because we have so many examples, and this is why I love uh, Samuel Kings and Chronicles especially, because when we look at how people act, we learn, based on their experience, how we're supposed to act and where we're not supposed to act. So it's real cut and dry. It's real straightforward. And whether it's a literal war, whether it's a spiritual war, whether it's trials or problems or whatever the case may be, the best answer should always be the same. Our response to that difficulty should never, ever vary. The problem with Israel and Judah is they kept wavering back and forth. Well, maybe we'll trust God. Maybe we'll call on the Lord, and, and one king will lead us that way, and then we'll have three more kings, and, and we'll follow them. They'll take us in the wrong direction, and we'll, we'll start to worship idols again. And, oh, we'll get our act together. Maybe we'll get back. I don't know. I don't really. I'm kind of tired of following. Just like you want a metaphor that, just look at Israel in the wilderness, right? Oh, Lord, save us. God opens the, the Red Sea. They walk through. Praise the Lord. Four, four verses later, they're complaining. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We need bread. It's so hot out here. We should have gone back to Egypt. Moses, you're a lousy leader. When are we going to get there? Why do we have to wait for Moses to come down from the mountain? It's taking a long time. And God's, and, and we just, you know, let's build a golden calf. And let's dance naked around it. And let's worship that. And, and Schizophrenic, right? Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That's not the way we're supposed to live. James 1 says that when we pray, we should pray with nothing wavering. You, you ever watch? I'm a big fan of the lake, right? I live a mile from the lake. I love going to the lake. Some days the lake is just calm. It looks like a lake. It's just completely placid. Others day, day the waves are crashing and it sounds like an ocean. I love the differences. It all depends on the wind. Today was very windy. I didn't go to the lake, but I imagine it would have been pretty choppy. Tomorrow it may be calm. It's just like some of the situations we face in life. Some days it's really windy. Some days the change is blowing and things are kind of whipping around and we can't quite get a hold of it. We're kind of like, I don't know what to do. And I'm kind of, kind of discombobulated. And other days it's real calm. We're like, okay, this is a good day. It's sunny outside and I'm, I'm kind of having a great day. And it starts to impact our faith based on the circumstances. Well, the Bible says, walk steady, stand firm, be rooted and grounded in your faith. And the examples in the gospel kind of teach us that, right? The disciples, one minute, they're on the shore picking up the baskets of the scraps, going, did you see that? Five loaves, two fish, we've got 12 baskets of scraps, and 5,000 people just ate. Like, how did that happen? That was pretty... Man, Peter, did you see that? Yeah, John, what do you think of that? Man, I look, my basket's full. What's your, your basket's full too. Unbelievable. A couple hours later, they're out on the boat and the wind's whipping, right? There's the metaphor again. 
And what are they doing? Oh, Lord, you're, it's fine. You got this. You're the, you're the author of the wind and the waves. Nope. They're panicking, throwing stuff overboard, screaming at each other, yelling, fearful, deathly afraid until Jesus shows up. See, we have to be careful that we don't lose hope and we don't lose focus just because the wind's blowing. So here they're in war and they're in conflict, and we'll read about it in just a second. And these wars and conflicts and problems in our lives can be a test of our faith. This one doesn't happen because Judah's doing the wrong thing. Like every time we see the Philistines, we know Israel's messed up, right? The Philistines show up, Israel's not doing the right thing. But Judah's doing everything right. Asa brings reform. You can see it. Verses 1, 2, 3, 4. Asa did good and right. He removed the foreign altars. He tore down the sacred pillars. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God. He removed the high places. The kingdom's absurd. He fortified the city. I mean, everything's great. And then the Ethiopians show up. And this happens because the Lord now wants to prove their commitment. All right, Judah, you've been away from me. You're doing the right things, but I want to see if this is going to take. Now, the Lord already knows that, right? The Lord doesn't bring trials so he'll be convinced that we're going to trust. The Lord brings trials so we'll be convinced that we're going to trust, so that we'll prove that we're going to do the right thing. And when we respond in faith, it strengthens us spiritually, especially as we see the Lord start to move. So look at Judah's problem, verse 9. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Merishah. So Asa went out to meet him, that's the new king, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathah at Merishah. All right, there's the problem. Don't move on. Here's the issue. Judah has 580,000 troops, and they have swords and bows, okay? Not a lot of ammo, not a lot going on for them. Now, they got half a million people, but the other army has a million people, so they're outnumbered two to one. And not only do they only have arrows and bows, but the Ethiopians have chariots. How many know that if you've got bows versus chariots, chariots win? Because they're just going to run over the people. They're going to go through. They're mobile. They've got defenses. They've got power. So the odds against Judah are not in their favor. They're, they're logically underdogs. And they really have no choice but to fight. But I want you to see, uh, always look in Scripture at what's not there also. There's no record of a strategy session because they don't have any time. And also because it's not their best option. They get into battle formation because that's what they have to do. But Asa knows that the best defense and the best weapon is in verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there's no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you. And in your name we've come against this multitude. O Lord, you're our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army. And they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them. And they despoiled all the cities, and there was much plunder in them. Now, I love this passage. Because what we're seeing here is a prayer 
in three parts. Now, I encourage you to write a couple things down because I think this will really strengthen us, okay? The prayer is in three parts. We're going to take like two minutes on each part. There's the first half of the sentence, the first little part, the first, se- the first half sentence, the second half sentence, and then sentences two and three, okay? So there are three sentences. We're going to look at the first part of the first, the second part of the first, and sentences two and three. Now, in the first half, that first little nugget, Asa makes it clear who is the source of their confidence. He calls on the Lord, his God, and he uses the name Lord. This this is not only a personal description of the one who he trusts and worships and serves, but it also shows by using that word that he is willingly humble to yield to God's leadership. We hear a lot of people talk about God. I want to encourage us to use the word Lord. The Lord said this. The Lord impressed upon my heart. The Lord answered my prayer. Why? Because God is generic in our culture, right? 88% of people, I think, in this country believe in God. Well, which God? What God? There are a lot of religions. There are a lot of gods. Which God is it? And the more we just kind of generically refer to God without referring to the Lord or referring to Jesus specifically, people just kind of think, well, okay, you worship God, so do I. What's the difference? So we need to use that word Lord as a reminder and a witness that he is my Lord. I'm humble before his leadership and lordship. Then he also says, there's no one else beside you. You know, the Lord wants that acknowledgement from us. He wants us to say that. You say, well, is God God on a power trip? Well, he could be, but he's not. It's because it's true. And because when we say there's no one else beside you, that's saying to him, we're not going to trust in anybody else. How many know tonight that it's not hard to trust in the Lord? The problem is pride chips in, and then the enemy kind of pushes our mind and fights that truth. Now remember, pride and the enemy are both liars. Our pride lies to us. It tells us we're better than we are. It tells us that we're better looking and in better shape and more successful and more happy and more confident and more popular than we are because it's always promoting us. And the enemy just pushes that step after step farther. So look at what Asa says. First part of first verse, we're done with that. The Lord, he's our God, and there's no one else besides him. Second middle part, Verse 11, Asa says it's a battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. Now, this is my favorite part of the whole account because we can learn a much different perspective of faith here. And this perspective has to become our default way of thinking because when it does, we will literally view everything in life differently. We'll view it with a different confidence. We'll do it with a different faith and a different power. Now, when Asa says this sentence, middle of verse 11, he's referring to the obvious logic of the situation, right? They've got a million and 300 chariots. We got 580 and some bows and spears and shields. We're outnumbered. We're out-equipped. They are way more powerful than we are. They have us dead to rights. We're going to lose. But here's the thing. Ace is praying in faith. His faith isn't wavering. But it's ironic because as he prays, he gets the description wrong. The powerful ones are not the Ethiopians. 
The powerful ones are the people who have God on their side. And the ones who have no strength are not the Jewish people. The ones who have no strength are those who don't have the Lord. Armies, chariots, weapons, it makes no different. Those are temporary material resources. But the Bible says what? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. So our battle is not, well, I have a sword, and I'm ready, and I'm going to defend against the chariot. Nope, 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 nope. That's wrong. Greater is he that is within us than he that's in the world. Jesus already has won the victory, right? So, so Asa is seeing it logically. He has faith. He's trusting. He's praying. But he sees it logically. You've you got to help the ones that don't have any help against the ones who are powerful. And I, I hope at that point, I don't know because I wasn't there, I hope the Holy Spirit said to Asa, uh-uh, you got it wrong. You're, you're twisting it. You're the powerful ones. They're the ones that have no hope. Just watch what I'm going to do. Now that leads to the last part of the verse. And let's just read this and apply it very, very simply because it will help us to pray. Four things Asa says. Number one, help us. Help us. It's one of the best prayers that we can pray because it's humble and defend, uh, dependent and confident. Help us, help us, help us. So then he says, why? Because we trust in you. It's no good asking for help from somebody that doesn't have the resources to help you, right? So if you need help, you've got to find the person. You've got to find the one that actually can provide. So he says, help us. We trust in you. And that's what the Lord wants most from us. He wants our faith. No conditions, no provisions, no excuses. Just trust me. Just trust me. If you and I, who many of us have been saved a long time, if we can get down to the simpleness of just, just trust me. Stop arguing. Stop, well, I know this, and I've been saved a long time, and I see that you did it, and I got charts. Nope. Just trust me. Just trust me. So Asa says, help us, Lord. We trust in you. And then he says, we're going to the battle in your name. That's the correct perspective that, that we must have. None of this is about our credit. None of it's about our comfort. None of it's about our, our continuation. It's only for his glory. When we trust him, he'll provide what we need. He'll take care of us. But we have to recognize the true purpose of what he's doing and what this is all about. Lord, we're going into this battle, and it's not about Judah winning. It's not about me, Asa, ascending to the throne and being a great warrior. And Look at me. I'm standing on a mountain. No, Lord, we're going into the battle in your name. And then he says, forth, and you're our God. That's the words of a disciple. That's the words of someone who knows the personal relationship, who knows that we can be confident because of who God is, and that he has the power to defeat our sin, that he has the power to cleanse us. He has the power to provide more than we can ever possibly imagine. And when we get that, when we know the Lord and we know he can provide, then we're joyful that can you believe that God would care about Paul Rhodes? And you believe of all the things in the universe, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the universe. The stars, the sky, all these things are discovering. God knows every one of them. They're all numbered. He knows every one of their names. And yet he says, I know every hair on your head. That the God of the universe, who has plenty of things to be concerned about tonight, looks at me and says, I care about you. You call my name, I'll answer you. I'm not too busy for you. Now notice, let's conclude. 
Notice what Asa doesn't pray. He doesn't ask for victory for the nation. He doesn't even ask for a specific result. He only says, do not let man prevail against you. When we pray, I really got convicted about this today. When we pray, let's be careful not to lay out all the ways that we want the Lord to answer. Lord, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray, and I'd really like to see you do this, or if not that, you could do this, and if not that, then alternative three, that'll be good. So one of those three, Lord, I'm kind of laying it out for you. Here's the ways I want. No, no. He says, Lord, just don't let man prevail. That may mean he dies. That may mean half his army gets wiped out. When we, when we say to the Lord, here are the ways I want you to answer, that's an attempt at control. And attempting to control means that we're not walking by faith. And when we attempt to control, God may say, all right, I'm going to limit how much I'm going to bless you because you want to have a hand in this. So when we approach the throne of grace as an undeserving disciple and just say, Lord, I'm just so happy to be in your presence. Praise your name. Praise your name. I just I want to yield to you. Lord, I, I just want to depend on you. Here's the problem, but, but Lord, however you want to answer that, I know you're going to get the glory. You answer that however you want, because you know what's best for me. And that's why when we read through verses 12 to 15, and we'll summarize them in a moment, we need to remember this is not just about us getting through our problems. It's about the grace and provision of God bringing glory to him and our faith going to new levels. So let's, let's finish what does the Lord do when we pray this way? Number one, it says he routed, verse 12, the Ethiopians. Makes no sense logically. No way Judah's supposed to win this battle, but this is a supernatural fight. Now, not only does he rout them, but the second thing that happens is the Ethiopians fled. They can't recover. So ask yourself, in my circumstance tonight, is the Lord victorious or not? Because the Bible tells me, resist the enemy and he'll flee from me. Resist is a strong, determined, intentional word. There's no equivocation in resistance. It's only, I'm going to fight this. And when we fight that way, then God produces powerful results because he's greater than the enemy. And he says, I'll defend you. I'll hold you up. I'll shield you. I'll be your strength. I'll be your covering. I'll minister to you. I'll be a strong tower to you. Think of all the promises of God where he says, I'll take care of you. So you depend on me, your enemy's going to flee. Third, would you notice, I love this word, verse 13, that the enemy was shattered. Don't you love how the Holy Spirit uses descriptive words? God doesn't just offset them, remove them, defeat them. He shatters them. And I was interested in the word in the Hebrew. It means broken, crushed, and maimed. In other words, this is a complete defeat. As his children and his disciples, you and I know that God can shatter our problems. He can shatter somebody that's away from the Lord. Not destroying them, but destroying that pride, breaking down that wall, removing it, showing them his mercy, removing the hardship, removing the challenge, removing whatever's blocking full dependence and full joy and full contentment in the Lord. God can shatter that. Now, what does God do for the people? Like, wouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't we say after verse 13, wow, man, the Lord routed them, they fled, and they were shattered. Whew, nope, God wants to do more. So it says at the end of 13, they carried away much plunder. A few hours ago, they're just hoping they don't get annihilated. 
Lord, okay, you're our God, and, and we're outnumbered, and okay, we're the weak, and they're the strong, and, and all right, we're going into battle. And God says, no, I want to do so much more than that. When we pray, don't say, oh, God, I just kind of hope you'll help me. He says, I have a blessing you can't imagine. Isn't that just like the Lord to turn a problem into a reward? To go from we've got, a, we've got heartache, we've got, we've got impossible odds to saying you're going to receive out of this. And look at the last point. It says they were put in a position of power. Dread fell on their enemies. Not because Judah was great, not because Asa was great, but because God's great. And he receives the glory he deserves and they get his protection. Now that's the idea. That's our faith and our contentment. Paul says in Philippians 4, no matter what the circumstances, that God has a way of ministering to us, helping us, protecting us, showing his power, bringing victory, and then turning our problem into a blessing. We prayed. A couple of you prayed that earlier. Now I want to encourage you because I don't know about you, but that changes the way I'm going to pray. Not, not coming heavy laden all. Oh, my problems. And, whew, Lord, I hope you can help me. Is that the way we'd pray if Jesus walked in the room tonight? Oh, Jesus, you're here. I hope you can help me. Remember the disciples? When Jesus shows up and Thomas has been saying, I don't know, guys, I don't, I think this is right. Jesus says, look, Thomas, put your, put your hand in my scar. What does Thomas do? He falls on his face and says, my Lord and my God. We need to pray that way. Not okay, Lord, here it is. Like, like uh, what was it, Snuffleupagus? Uh, like Eeyore. We're Christian Eeyores. Oh. Lord, great is the power, great is the glory. Praise your name. The enemy, oh, it seems like we're the weak ones. We're not the weak ones because you're on our side. So, Lord, we come to you. Help us. You're our God. Help us. You know what? God will do that. Let's pray.